0: The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Detroit,
1: we got eight traitors. Let's call the radio on Detroit. I've right, been on the target right now. I've got a couple of these right in front of them. Go down, British.
0: Welcome back to the Machine Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Steve and Brett, and we're going to talk about fall in 2023. Yes, we did hang out with historical gamers. No, we didn't like beat up any grognards, no matter what our shirts should have said. But that's all right. Uh, First off, though, I want to talk about a little bit of the upcoming schedule, because we do have a big gap. Uh, Nothing going on until Adepticon in March, so it's going to kind of be a chance to refit, recover, and get everything running. Hopefully, you all watch some of the streaming. We're going to work on improving some more of that and some of the interviews, so that that way we'll be able to run both game streams and interviews and uh, bring more content for those of you who don't get a chance to go to Adepticon. But after that, let's talk a little bit about what's gone on in the Blood Red Skies and Aerial Wargaming world in the last week. So a couple of weeks ago, we had the FAQ drop. We promised that was going to be our next episode. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll cover that later. Uh, that should be the next episode, episode 116. So 116 will be when we dissect the new FAQ and complain about it and bitch and tell everyone what you think they got wrong. Uh, but more importantly, for those that saw on Instagram, uh, we got two new test mats from Cigar Box Battles, and they're awesome. They are actually vinyl mats printed on both sides, uh, 3 by 3 size with hexes. They're They're super cool. Really enjoyed playing with those. Chris and I and the guys that are playing Aeronautica, we had a chance to use those on Monday night, and they're awesome. So a little bit of glare, still a little shiny, but not as shiny as most vinyl mats you're used to. And the fact is, you can get whatever you want printed on them. So got them in double-sided, got them with different maps, uh, with two-inch hexes put on a bunch of different things. So they're pretty cool. And uh, we'll cover more about those uh, in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's dive right in, or fall in, huh, shall we say, uh, to tonight's topic. All right, guys, anything anyone wants to lead off with overall about the uh, the event before we delve into the specifics?
2: Yeah, I got one thing. I thought it was going to be more of a fall down, like a like kind of a boondoggle where we're going to drink a bunch. but
0: Well, uh, that's what I did the first night, didn't you?
2: <laughs> a little, a little. No, we had a good time, but I mean, we were busy, right? Because if anytime we have a booth set up, people are going to come by, we're going to have a lot of stuff to do, and exercise in the streaming table and everything kept us busy. Yeah, so.
0: that, I think that's my biggest lesson learned was not not even having thing hard scheduled. If you have a booth, people are going to come by and talk, which is a good thing. Uh, but certainly, certainly kept me from getting over to the main venue, uh, as we'll talk about here in a bit. Steve, anything uh, in your overall perspective?
1: No, nah, it was, it was cool, man. Just kind of doing the, uh, like you said, there was nothing hard scheduled, but just kind of doing the talk, chat it up thing, kind of uh, just hang out with other gamers. Yeah, it was, it was busy, but fun for sure. Yeah.
2: I was surprised how big it was. You know, my only perspective was the historical, you know, area for Adepticon. I thought, well, if that, the Adepticon is the biggest show in town, that was, you know, I was kind of expecting it to be smaller than that. It was larger. The historical side was larger than the historical turnout oh, for yeah. Adepticon.
0: Yeah, I absolutely. Uh, I think the number was, what did they say? 1,200, 1,400 people uh, was the number of, of uh, attendees they expected. Uh based on on the count from whoever picked up their badges so it, it was really good sized I mean the the venue there at the Wyndham uh, is a little split up the the rooms are kind of in different areas and they're subdivided and then the vendors were off in a pavilion uh, down at the bottom of the hill so that was uh, just a different style setup than I was used to but I thought it worked fine I mean I know I know there's people that it didn't work for there's vendors that weren't happy that that's always going to happen Um, you know, it's, it's great to be in the middle of the entire venue. Um, but I think the Wyndham makes do as best it can, uh, with the large facilities they have.
2: We were so focused on the streaming table we had there. We were right when you walked in at the vendor hall. I wonder if we did that event again, if it would make more sense to be maybe over in the main area or like, you know, that, that one landing where they had food and stuff was sort of like a big central area. Yeah. I don't know if that's even possible, but you know, cause we weren't really vendors per se we were more like i don't know almost like media you know yeah it was
0: a it was definitely an interesting compromise because i didn't have a good feel for how we would get space that would be central without being in the exhibition hall uh so i think knowing what we know now going forward in some other events it will be interesting to see where we get stuck uh because you know quite frankly we're we we sort of are vendors we offer people a discount uh we got a couple orders after the after the show so that's good uh, people went out there and, and ordered uh, some Warlord stuff, some 3D prints, a couple different things, and used the fall in uh, discount code. So it, we're in some weird in between, uh, in between land. Uh, I, I think it would we would have been hard pressed to push out the people that were in those central tables there by the food. <laughs> I think that's probably a, a high pride gaming spot, but that's quite honestly where you want your streaming and interview spaces and everything to be. Somewhere that it's it's central for everybody.
2: Yeah, we just didn't look like the conventional vendor space with like lots of product and stuff stacked yeah. up in a yeah. booth area. We were just out there doing demo games. And it was funny. So I thought I was surprised by the amount of traffic we got, how many people stopped and were really in, seemed interested in, hey, what's this? Is this, oh, Blood Red Skies? I've heard of that. Or, you know, saw the airplanes on the table and wanted to see more. We did a bunch of demo games. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah,
0: no, that was fun. Uh, so let's talk through kind of what we did uh, through the, the three days. You know, Thursday, we got in. Friday was the big setup day, getting ready for the vendor hall to open at noon, uh, then run from noon to six, so a kind of abbreviated day there. Uh, but it, like you said, it was good because as soon as the doors open and there's a lot of people streaming in, uh, we had a lot of uh, 3D prints to give away and, and to talk to people about aircraft. And, and like you said, Brett, I was surprised how many people came over and saw that it was a, an aerial war game saw that it was blood red skies and even if they were a check your six player they had something good to say and i thought that was kind of funny i don't know if you guys kind of got that same experience
1: yeah i definitely uh, i think i said in one of the interviews we were doing that i was like really uh pleasantly surprised by the interest in aerial wargaming in general i thought there was like a really uh uptick i guess you would say like yeah. an uptick in yeah. the amount of interest in aerial wargaming right where a lot of guys are like oh yeah you know i play check your six but i heard about blood red skies or i play such and such and uh but this looks really fun i've been meaning to try it and it just seemed like there was a lot more interaction around the idea of aerial wargamings than i've seen at the past when i've gone to uh, you know, Cold Wars or Historic Which is kind of funny because wasn't the theme
0: when events. you went to Historic Con, aerial war gaming? <laughs> and there's a lot of American Yeah, Civil I think that was war two years that, ago, Cold War. Cold Wars, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Cold War, I think was it was was aerial war game. But yeah, it was just really, yeah, it was really cool. Like, I don't know if people are getting more into the airplanes again or, you know, what the deal is. But it was, it was fun talking to a whole bunch of people about it.
0: Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting to talk to people about what they played and that was kind of always my my opening line is hey what games do you play you know got them interested in what we were doing and then it, it, nobody said oh i play check your six because blood red skies is too simple <laughs> so i didn't have to hear that line brett what was your interaction like on the first day
2: i think the first day i might have had a demo game i think yeah did, yeah didn't yeah. friday yeah. Had, somebody come by do a demo game, game right no, away we really
0: didn't have any formalized events which is good um, but, uh, yeah, you did, you did a demo game and, and walked a couple, couple guys through.
2: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, uh, I thought maybe it was going to be, everybody's in there is really interested in like world war II games or maybe, uh, Napoleonics or something, but yeah, there were a ton of people that came by. I wanted to, we had people lined up at some points right there at the. At the table looking at the 3D yeah, prints. Yeah, you
0: know, it was funny. There was a couple categories of, of gamers that showed up. There were the ones that obviously wanted a demo game like like you did. Uh, and I know you did a couple one-on-one demo games throughout the the weekend. And then there were people that kind of lurked around and kind of wanted to see what we we're doing and look at the models and talk about the models, but didn't really care so much about the game. They just wanted to kind of talk about, you know, the, the paint jobs on the models. and And as we would joke, rivet counters, you know, do rivet counting things. Uh, but, uh, it was, I thought it was, it was a good chance to, to meet a lot of the people and then to get to walk through the vendor hall, you know, Brett, what was your thought on, on at least that first day, seeing how many vendors were there in that huge exhibition area?
2: Yeah. Like I said, I, everything was so much bigger than I anticipated. Uh, and man, if you wanted to, you could walk in there, get everything you needed to build an amazing table. How about that one? That one—I don't want to call it a booth because it was like several booths all combined into one big section where it was everything terrain. So all the supplies you needed to make any kind of amazing wargaming table for yeah. any scale. I didn't—I
0: didn't like those guys because I went in there and I was like, "Oh, this will be easy. I'll just browse through. Oh, look, there's 28 mil stuff. Oh, look, there's 10 mil stuff. Oh, look, there's 15 mil stuff. Yeah, that—that that was not a good place. I think I made one spin through there and then quickly left before I spent a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna jump into the vendor hall thing, man. That guy who had the paper, all the paper terrain.
0: That that I one, was like, I didn't even blown I mean, away. I, I by stopped some and looked, but I did not stop to price anything. I did not stop to ask about it. I was a terrible media personality because I'm like, oh, these are some really cool buildings. The Middle Eastern ones I thought were actually the nicest. I looked at those, and those I could see myself buying a bunch of those to use on a table. Uh,
1: so, that- so I had seen paper terrain before, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool. But I was like kind of like a novelty. Like, oh, yeah, it's cheap. It's light. It's cool. It's neat. It looks kind of like a house. And certainly it represents a house. I did not even realize his stuff was paper terrain oh, yeah. until I like got up yep. on it. I was like, oh, man, that's all paper. And then he had like the trains and the uh, the like you said, the Middle Eastern stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was some of the best, uh, probably the best paper, yeah. paper style terrain yeah. I'd ever seen.
0: Well, and it's funny because there's kind of been a resurgence of that style terrain in a couple different ones. And the Battlefront team was there with the Gale Force 9 version of it. Uh, and there it's, it's like a dungeon terrain, a spaceship, you know, hull terrain, whatever. All these these different ones that are that are easy to break down and, and fold up and take with you. Uh, so I think there's there's this feeling that people are going to game on the road or they're going to travel to games again and that no one wants to travel with a big plastic tote full of terrain. Does get to be painful.
2: I kind of got a new appreciation for the guys that show out to, uh, you know, to have a vendor space because, you know, I guess they, they have to pay a fee to have a space there. It's probably not an insubstantial amount of money. They have to travel from some distance with all their stuff, set it all up, sell some stuff, hope to sell enough to, you know, make a profit, and then pack all that stuff up and take it back to the next show or whatever. It's a big production. I mean, it, just the scale of the, You know, the size of the vendor hall and how much different stuff was there and the volume of product that was available there. I mean, there was one guy I can think of. I actually bought one of his models. He was a commission painter and he had a bunch of his stuff there that he was selling. And I bought one little half-track model. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he had a a ton of inventory, if you want to call it that, on his table. He probably sold like half of the stuff he brought. But, you know, how does a guy that does that you know, make enough money to make it worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a big commitment. Well, that's,
0: that's always one of the discussions. And, and it was a point of discussion on Sunday morning with the vendors and the, and the HMGS board and everyone that was there. The, how do you balance vendors versus guys that are in the, the flea market and, you know, things that, that go on there? Uh, how do you balance that against, you know, getting the right people through the vendor hall, through the flea market to, to, get all the parties that are involved um, the most money possible and, and get people to buy their product. And I think we can talk about it now because we I don't really want to wait and cover it at the end. There's, at least for me attending this, for the first time attending Fall In, there was a lot of crossover, in, at least in my mind, between the vendor hall and the flea market. And I was kind of surprised about that. There were a few vendors there that seemed... More like flea market vendors, but I guess because they're recurring people and they're willing to pay a large fee for that booth, they're they're in the vendor hall, but they're selling, like you said, a handful of commission painted miniatures, or they are selling a collection of books, random collection of books that might be about historical topics. Yeah, or
2: secondhand models and stuff. All those. The, I know what you're talking about. The only thing I could say it was different from my perspective between them and some of the, you know, random folks out with their stuff at the um flea market was just the amount of stuff they had right so i'm thinking about the guys who had who were like secondhand selling scale models or collections of you know all kinds of different used armies you know you know from napoleonics to whatever or the like the used book guy or the videos the video guy all that stuff was kind of like secondhand if you will like you might see in the flea market but Whereas it might've been in the flea market, one person's personal collection of some stuff in a couple of boxes or whatever, these booths in the vendor hall that were sort of like that. It was stacked floor to oh, yeah. ceiling, like oh, all yeah. the way around, you know, tons of stuff.
0: Yeah. The, so the, the other funny part of it is the attitudes of vendors and, and flea market sellers. I'll call them. I don't know what you call them. Hucksters over there <laughs> selling their, selling their wares. Uh, i i think most of the vendor hall was pretty good at interacting with people but i'll be honest i was still surprised there's times you roll into a vendor's booth and you kind of felt like you were offending them a little bit that you were there and god forbid you asked a question steve i think you had the best comment about you know see right there on the book on the book it says what the title is (laughs) you know
1: yeah it's it's a weird dynamic i mean i feel like uh, even in the vendor hall, you're still gonna deal with—I uh, don't know—we'll say the uh, uh, oddities of historical <laughs> gamers' personalities, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So, like, you're still gonna get that little, you know, that little bit of uh, historical gamer personality there in the vendor hall, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it was cool. I mean, I thought at first I was like, oh, this kind of stinks that the vendor hall is separated from the main uh, convention area. But, man, I felt like the traffic flow was just continuous, like just constant traffic flow. Oh, yeah. it, it, it was – Well, that actually, I was really surprised by that. And that
0: was one of the discussion points uh, with the vendors. And, and this is important for people to understand how much the vendors pay attention to when people are and are not walking through the vendor hall. Uh, the vendors – there was a variety of perspectives about when there was quote-unquote dead time. I know we're right at the front, so we kind of got spoiled. We never really saw any dead time. There were times it slowed down. But I think some of the vendors, based on where they were, people just didn't get to them in some of the afternoons. There was a whole discussion about, you know, does the flea market take away from vendor sales? Those aren't issues I want to delve into. Those are issues that HMGS and their board, they can all uh, wrangle through how to solve those. But from at least where we were at the front – there was a steady stream of people coming through and that worked out well for us. Cause we got a chance to talk to a lot of them.
2: <laughs> Can I give a special shout out to the, the two, I think it was two different vendors right across from each other. Steve, you had mentioned that I was going to see this there, but the, the guys that sold the scale uh, banners for his, uh, for uh, like Napoleonics and American civil war and stuff. I mean, these were amazing. They, they were just little tiny scale flags and guidons and stuff that were, they were just awesome. I, I can't even describe them. I mean, it looks so realistic. I guess you just buy the, and I'm talking, there might've been, I don't know, a hundred different banners or more. I don't know. And you just pick the one you that was right for you. And I guess you just glue it onto your figures or whatever, <laughs> but those were damn impressive.
1: Yeah. Some of the, that one guy's flags are, certainly pretty cool the way he has his little process there just with the paper and the glue and then kind of like folds them up a certain way and gives them that little wrinkly wavy look to them. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the creativity and I would, I would say that, uh, transfers to the flea market as well, right? Like the creativity is always something that every time I go to a vendor hall or one of these events, I see something that I'm just like, man, that's so cool or that's so creative or how did you think of that? You know, I think it, that always that always. oh yeah really like that custom
2: the custom bag guy the guy that had the the bags for armies with all the different um like the rigid trays and then the the laser cut mdf i think it's called to and then the foam it was a combination of all these all these components that really made a pretty durable safe way to transport your stuff i, I thought and you could tell it was just it wasn't some you know big company like uh You know, some of the bag manufacturers you've heard of where you can get, you know, all your stuff custom laser fitted for your specific army. It wasn't some big operation like that. It was like this dude's thing. He's probably doing it out of his garage or something, but it was pretty darn good.
0: And that's the funny difference between Adepticon and Fall In is that literally Adepticon, all of the vendors in the vendor hall are big name vendors. There might be the dude selling T-shirts, but he's the only dude selling T-shirts and he has about 10,000 of them. Uh, so, you know, the HMGS side, a little bit different, smaller vendors, people, you know, getting, uh, getting their product in front of people. And I think that's good. Um, I will say about the, uh, the flea market though, it was kind of funny. There were a lot of people that thought very highly of their stuff and maybe, maybe there's historical gamers with just too much disposable income, but it just fascinated me. Some of the prices, there were some great prices out there, and there were some people you could tell were just looking to move miniatures they'd acquired. But then there were people that had acquired stuff in bulk and wanted exorbitant amounts for it, you know, and a a box of, you know, fishing tackle box full of uh, metal miniatures I have to sort is not uh, a gold mine. (laughs) You can't charge me, you know, premium eBay rates for that.
1: I was kind of bummed by the flea market too. And I'm like not a big flea market guy, right? Like I'm kind of like, if I'm going to pay eight dollars for something i'll just pay eleven dollars for it and i'll just have like a new one right so flea markets aren't really my thing but i had this bolt action game coming up and i was like woefully unprepared for it so i went to the flea market like man if i can find a sherman tank with some pieces missing that's kind of (laughs) painted or if i can find like an american some kind of american half track that i can play tonight that's kind of falling apart but i can get a bargain on it i was ready to buy up all kinds of you know american uh armor or stuff like that. And it was, like you said, a little, a little disappointing, not even, yeah, just kind of the stuff that I saw was either like, I wouldn't even call it like flea marketable. I would say like, it'd be more like a box slot at an auction, right? Like it was just beat, <laughs> well, like beat, and, beat. And that beat. was the like, funny
0: thing. So there was, there was, a, you know, things that I liked, there was a nice Imperial fists army over there for 40 K uh, that I looked at. Uh, was not going to buy don't need any more 40k miniatures but it was nice and and the guy had a couple nicely painted armies there um there there were some extraneous random vehicles for like 30k 40k um that were reasonably priced that i would have picked up there was some stuff that was crazy expensive just because it was you know things you can't find in the box in the in the uh um in the wrap anymore um so so those were some cool things to see over there. And people want premium prices. And I get that. They they think they can demand that there. Um, but it was so funny because some of the people you you knew had bought things at estate sales or bought it in a lot of something because they hadn't even sorted it. You know, it was a, a box, a Tupperware container of Star Wars micro machines, And you want 150 bucks for that. And I'm like, really, dude, you just bought this at some estate sale and dumped it in the Tupperware container. Uh, no, it's it's not the same cost as if they were all in the blister pack. No, sorry,
1: uh, man. I wish I would have seen those.
0: <laughs> they had, two, two two different sellers had like the Tupperware containers of Star Wars micro machines. Sorry, should have pointed them out <laughs> to you. I was I was looking for Star Trek. I couldn't find
2: any Star Trek ones. What's that? You you came you came up with a bag full of solo games or whatever right tell me where'd you find those those were in the vendor Oops. hall you found those, all this stuff right?
0: over my shoulder yeah i i kind of fell down hard uh with a couple vendors so here's the funny thing so i i, I roll into the vendor and uh i will start with the shopping bag first because that's kind of the funnier story um I, I roll in and i'm talking to the guy about some some independent publisher games that he's got and some of them seem pretty cool and you know he's a he's a fairly savvy vendor he's got a uh a package deal going on so you you buy some of these smaller kind of uh solo one-off games stuff like that um and we get a good deal so i buy I, I buy way too much stuff because once again if i'm getting a good deal i'm gonna buy a lot of it right you know so i buy a handful of games i'll talk through here in a second but then he proceeds to put my order in a bag um a very nice heavy duty bag um that i'll hold it up for the camera and i'll have to read what it is to all of our people that are uh listening it is a Origins 1998 plastic bag yes yes from from Origins in 1998 he must have still had a warehouse full of these bags uh so that was kind of funny to me that was just shows how some things don't ever get used up in the in the gaming world um but anyway talk about what i picked up hold on a second i'll get that so the biggest thing i got was another midway game uh not from any one of the standard publishers or uh, Avalon Hill or any of those guys um but I got from uh, Turning Point Simulations, I got their Midway game. Uh, and I got an expansion for free with that, once again. Sucker me in. I'll buy the uh, the game if you give me the expansion. But then I got a lot of other cool stuff. So I was on my...
2: Uh, they look like it still has a shrimp, shrimp oh, yeah, wrap Yeah, on yeah, it. yeah.
0: So that's, a, that's a, a new production one. So I got copies of a couple of different magazine games like uh, Buffalo Wings. So uh, Ken Nat, I'm sure you'll be happy. I have this great game about your favorite airplane, the Buffalo. Uh, I got, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chenault's First Flight. Uh, so Chenault and, and the Flying Tigers, a whole Flying Tiger game uh, in that magazine. Um, Arab-Israeli War 1, 1973, uh, northern border. A cool one, a uh, small indie game about, uh, I always forget it, Operation Praying Mantis, the Goplats when uh, we took out the Iranian uh, gas and oil platforms. And then a very, a very apropos one, uh, Reign of missiles about the 2012 fight in Gaza, <laughs> for uh, for taking out Hamas's uh, missile program. So, um, a lot of cool aviation and you know aerospace themed games, uh, and like like the indie ones, they're all homemade counter sheets that you you glue together and cut up and do all that kind of stuff. But who cares? I mean, for you know 15, 20 bucks, it's it's fun to have a cool little game you can put together. Uh, and play and see what what somebody's take on a historical event is.
2: Those games give you a lot of insight and uh, ideas for other mechanics. For oh yeah,
0: oh yeah, it's 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 always good because you get ideas for for other games or for just uh, you know expansions to Blood Red Skies or something else. You know, you say, oh, I remember seeing this in this game, and you could do something cool that way,
2: like some extra scenario or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's cool. So-
2: yeah, I knew you came away with a big bag full of stuff. I didn't know how much damage you did. No, that was cool. just
0: part of the damage. Then I bought some old miniatures and other things like that that were still in the blister packs as I went rooting through people's, you know, bargain basement things there in the vendor hall, where they were all in in mass containers of Tupperware. So I got some of that for for Full Thrust and some Star Trek stuff and some other nerd miniatures. So what'd you guys find? Anything else, or, or was I the big spender?
1: I found those two Galans. Oh, that's right. Kind of stoked about that's right. that
0: gonna make all your money it's yeah, gonna put the kids through college selling the adolf Galland. uh
1: pay for those <laughs> pay for those margaritas yeah, maybe yeah exactly somebody picks up those galons or one sticker book in the flea market
2: <laughs> oh yeah the world war one sticker book for the girls that's so yeah you didn't, get, you didn't get that though I didn't uh, know. Like it was a little pricey for me. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> twenty bucks, man. I only went away for two days. I mean, you know, I'm gonna I
0: buy twenty bucks <laughs> for you <two> girls. <laughs>
2: a Depticon maybe? Right? You gotta, you gotta pay that one. <laughs> yeah, I got this. Uh, I got this half track that I'm gonna uh, weather up and stuff nice. for my bolt action That'd list. Good. It's kind of cool. It's got a little turret on it and stuff. So anyway, that was that was my only real purchase.
0: Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about Saturday. Saturday was a busy day, obviously. Uh, You guys started off by playing uh, Air Metals and Iron Crosses, one of the games out of your currently ongoing campaign, and that just went to YouTube today. So I just finally got off my butt and got the audio and everything all edited, got it posted up there. So if you didn't get to see the stream and you want to see Steve and Brett play a campaign game and watch... JU eighty eight absolutely decimate Steve. Uh, then yeah, yeah, go ahead and uh, and watch that one. So I think I think that was a fun game. It gave us a couple of interesting rules questions, but uh, you guys seem to have a good time playing it.
2: Yeah, it was fun. We we haven't played one of our campaign games in a while, and that was literally like an excerpt of our uh, of our campaign game that we had it was supposed to be our next one. It was, I think it was a thousand point priority target mission. And each of us had probably a dozen. I think I had thirteen aircraft on my duty roster. And he probably had about the same. So that would have been a lot to play in that yeah. venue, right? Yeah. With you know people coming up, and you know, so I really it was the first time I would have had the chance to play Ju eighty eight. So it was just a chance for us to kind of dust off the uh, campaign and you know just have a fun game, but I also wanted to run those Ju eighty eight. So what we did is we ran our full card deck. Just like we had you know, deployed all 13 planes or whatever per side, but we only each fielded one element of three aircraft, or I think it, actually, I don't know if it was just three aircraft, but it was a certain number of points. It was about 250 points worth of aircraft. My JU-88s and, and I think uh, Steve had some Spitfires, and we just did our thing as if we deployed everything, but of course, we only deployed each an element, so it was a quick game. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it was fun. It was a good time. Steve,
0: how did you, uh, like getting savaged by the JU-88Cs?
1: Dude, strafing ships is brutal. I think we, you know, we've played a lot of priority target missions in the, uh, campaign. And I think that's the first time we ever had a ship actually destroyed in a priority target (laughs) game. And that's strafing (laughs) attack with heavy hitter. And
2: yeah, that was brutal. Well, one thing we, I think we learned that uh, you know, if we were going to replay that mission, the splash barrage yeah. Yeah. could have been pretty effective, right? Because I had to to get that uh, barrage or to get the strafing in. Uh, I think at one point a regular barrage really had no effect because of the ranges involved. But a splash barrage might have been kind of cool, and I don't think we've ever even done that before. Yeah,
0: we. I know we haven't. When we played the multi scenario, we didn't use splash barrages; we used regular ones. But yeah.
2: I think, I don't know if controversies, probably that's probably too strong a word, but I think I've heard some people complain, or maybe you mentioned it, that people sometimes complain about just how powerful heavy yeah. hitter is in strafing yep. ordnance, uh, especially against ships, right? But uh, I like it. I think it's appropriate because uh, you're not doing any damage whatsoever with bombs, right? So if you can get somebody to that target who just happens to have those traits, you can do the Lord's work, <laughs> work on a ship, right? Yeah.
1: I, I, yeah. I mean, I thought it was cool. I, I didn't mind it. I mean it is what it is, right? If the plane's got cannons on it and it's strafing a ship and it's got a heavy hitter trait that it hits harder when it gets closer. If that you know, if that's the idea of heavy hitter, then yeah, but I, th- I think by all means. I you think get the complaint ship, is harder. that
0: it's the auto crit. So that when you hit, you get an automatic crit, which means you automatically do both a hull and a point damage. So unlike everybody else, strafing it with heavy weapons, they're just knocking turrets out of the way, maybe getting uh a whole hit you're you're definitely sinking that ship via a whole hit uh or two pretty quickly with heavy hitter but you know whatever it's i think it's a it's a continual argument we've had about do you get to apply that to uh to ground targets and some people will say there's there's other traits you should use um but whatever who cares we used we use the traits we want to because it's our game and we'll do what we damn well please all right so tell me about the next game you guys played Right, what was this uh, this crazy combined air and naval
2: game? Well, Steve actually should probably lead us off because he knows the guys that were part of that crew that were all playing a ship game.
1: Steve,
0: was this your good yeah, idea? Yeah, I was
1: just kind of, <laughs> yeah, it, well, I don't know if it was a good idea. It was my idea. I don't know if we, you know, uh, the adjective is debatable, I guess, but yeah. Uh, no, uh, it was some of the guys uh, who Pierce was on one of our episodes talking about right. missile threat and some of his crew that came up from Maryland, uh, who was kind enough to have me at their, uh, their gaming location to demo one day. They were planning on playing a naval game called uh, General Quarters yep. 3, and they had all their naval ship stuff. And uh, somebody mentioned they were doing naval battles at 1-2400 scale. And Brett kind of said, "Oh, that's the size targets we use." And then I was like, "Oh man, if that's the size targets we use, why don't they, uh, why don't they just sail their ships around the board, and we'll fly our airplanes around the board, and we'll just kind of play two independent games, but on the same board. And if planes get close enough to shoot at ships, we'll just let them shoot at them. And we were kind of basically, it, it was a combined arms game." but really everybody was playing independently. The games weren't really interacting with each other uh, unless, you know, something would happen. And then even if they interacted with each other, it kind of only affected, you know, if the planes would have hit a ship, it was only going to give victory points for the plane game. It wasn't really going to change the ship game. So it was really just two games going on at the same table. So we could have cool little acrylic tokens and ships and planes and everything on the table at the same time.
2: Yeah, it looked pretty cool. It turned into essentially a, blood red skies demo game for the two guys that played that. And, uh, they really had little interest in what the ships were doing. Cause they just wanted to fly at each other and get after it. Right. So, <laughs> so we, it was kind of like, I go, you go, we would do, we would wrap up our turn and then duck out and the ship guys would do all their stuff. There, ahoy, fire the broadsides,
0: like whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: Dude, I will
1: say about the ship guys. Right. And like, I'm big on this with war games. They came prepared with all the little oh, yeah. trinkets and chits oh, yeah. and widgets, all the acrylic, the acrylic splash, the acrylic torpedoes that were marking out torpedo yep. pass. You, the cotton ball fire plumes, you know, they came, those ship guys came with it. There's some there's a lot of respect there for that. You know, when you got all the little, when you got a tackle box <laughs> full of widgets and <laughs> stuff to put on your board, yeah. dude, I, I'm down. I, I like the way it looked for sure.
0: Yeah, it seemed like it was. It was pretty fun to watch you guys uh, play the the two games playing on the same table, but not simultaneously. And it, you know, it worked out because Blood Red Skies plays fast enough. You could play that while the ship guys are all writing their orders and plotting their movement and doing all that. So, I think it worked out. I think it was fun.
2: Was Saturday night the uh, margarita night? No,
0: that was Friday. Saturday was Friday? night was the regular dinner, and then it was you guys going back to play bolt action. So That's tell right. us about bolt That's action. Right. We, how did you, how did you manage well, to figure out how to play bolt action with no rule book, not enough dice and no knowledge of anything other than how to push the troops around the field and no terrain.
2: We just grabbed. Yeah. We didn't have anything but our models and a uh, very small list for each of us. I think what, 500 points we each had. So not a, big collection but uh we ran over to the uh to the gaming area where they had i guess some time earlier concluded a big bolt action tournament and the guys that ran it i guess were still there policing up their terrain and stuff and we just you know gave them puppy dog eyes and asked if we could please 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 play <laughs> a game on their terrain and maybe oh by the way could you help us because we don't know how so to play
0: can you can we borrow your terrain and can can you help us with the rules and can you actually proctor the game yeah
1: Oh, man, I didn't have my order dice. You guys get an F. I didn't have Capital regu- fucking We didn't have order F. dice. We didn't have regular dice. We didn't have anything, I man. should have made you all strip off guys- all
0: LPP freaking logo gear when you went over there. Do not embarrass the podcast, you freaks. No, that's good. And I'm really, really super happy that the the Bolt Action crowd uh, accepted you all and, and brought you in and loaned you what you needed and, and got you started
2: on the game. But turns out yeah, the guy was that great. was helping us lives in Steve's hometown. So, yeah,
0: no more excuses, Steve. You still- now you got to play. They get a-
2: Yeah, it's awesome. The guy who
1: helped us lives like, yeah, like 10 minutes from me. So that was kind of cool. And they were super helpful, too. And you could tell they were like, t- they were tired as hell, man. They were like having a hard time keeping their eyes open. And they're like, <laughs> who trying are these clean suckers up. that come they're in like, here at
0: the hour and want us to do something to play?
1: <laughs> I haven't eaten all day. I'm hungry. They, yeah, I mean, they were super. Uh, Yes, yeah, super helpful and super nice. So if you're about one it. of the
0: bolt action guys from Fall In, Lead Pursuit owes you beer. And I'll pay up for these two sorry sacks. Uh but thanks for uh thanks for taking our our lost puppies in uh and teaching them bolt action. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Sunday. Uh pack up day, time to get out of there, catch our flights. Uh but we played a beyond Mig Alley game. Uh Brett got to introduce you to the uh missile rules and, and have you play through that. Uh, you got to play the Indian MiG-21s chasing down my sabers, my Pakistani sabers. Uh, and it was your first time, like I said, you know, playing with the missile rules. So what'd you think with the way they're written, uh, in, in wing commander?
2: Uh, I liked it. I, um, you know, not being super familiar with it. Mistakes were made, you know, (laughs) trying to remember the minimum range and maximum, you know, stay within that minimum and maximum range for the missiles plus be in rear aspect and oh, by the way, trying to make all my moves happen so that um, I stay within nine inches so I could keep my opponent forced down. That was kind of, you know, that was hard to keep all straight most times, but it was fun. I thought that mission specifically was, and we talked about this on the stream. I think it's a great way to introduce that to somebody like me who's not familiar with those rules because it's a quick, yeah, it's a, it's, you, know, you can make those mistakes and go, oh, okay, I see. And because it's got a, not just not just the shooting element, right? Like the ranges and everything I just described, but also some things that are worth thinking about for learning how to better right. deploy. Right. For both sides, depending on which, you know, how you're playing. Anyway, I thought a really great way to get a quick introduction because it's quick. It's only a couple of turns. And I think you could leap from maybe a couple of runs of that into like, Okay, we're ready. Yeah. And it's
0: a it's a good game for you to play twice and switch up who's playing either side, get a feeling for the missile rules and for how they work. And then you can go play one of the other scenarios where um, where you may have more aircraft missiles. Um, I I like it, obviously, because I wrote it. I think it's the best scenario ever. Now, uh, it's a it's just an intro scenario. So it's a fun way to show people how to use the missile rules and then how everything from the World War Two and Korea rules ties together. And things that you, like you talked about, you don't think so much about, um, your high cover, your high cover placement when you have guns, cause you'll just show up and shoot people in the face. Cause you'll be advantaged, but now you're advantaged, but you're not in a rear arc sometimes. So you can't shoot your missiles. I made yeah. that mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and quite frankly, um, it's an easy mistake to make. You're like, I, I want to outflank the guy. I want to be there and come in as high cover, but. Uh, all you're doing is your as we would say a high speed cheerleader there you know you're uh, you're basically holding him down with your 9 inch bubble around that airplane but that's and and that's useful but that's not going to keep um keep them from uh from getting off the board or from doing other things so
2: i don't know what the consensus is or the you know general thought is about missiles and jets and stuff but i thought it was pretty fun i i, I didn't i didn't think it broke the game in any way it seemed certainly familiar to regular Blood Red Skies gameplay, just you know, the ranges were obviously different, but it seemed like a natural evolution for that era. I didn't I didn't think it was weird in any way or like, oh my gosh, just you know, it It wasn't like my cheese got moved because we were playing with <laughs> Jets, but man, the MiG twenty ones look awesome on the stands. Yeah, I mean Casey did it. Yeah, he did a
0: great job with the MiGs and the Sabres. So I feel bad that we broke a tail off a of saber. Oh well, whatever. <laughs> That's more resin prints. Um, but uh yeah, it was uh, it was a really nice job done by Casey on on those miniatures that we used, so
1: yeah, I think that indo scenario is really cool because I've seen it played a couple times now and I think it illustrates something really neat just about Blood Red Skies in general is that for everybody who says there's not enough complexity to it, I've seen that same scenario that the deployment is the same and uh, it's four aircraft and it's like a super simple scenario and every time I've seen it now, multiple times, it's played out totally yeah, differently. Yeah. So there's obviously enough complexity there to make it like one of the simplest of scenarios play that differently that many times, you know, like I really enjoy that scenario and I'd like to get another crack at it too. Having played it right. one time and watched it a couple of times, like I'd really like to get another. Yeah. Crack
0: at it. And I think it's like, I said, it's a good intro because there's so many different things you can do. And if you want to change the scenario, change the scenario. It's not going to hurt my feelings, you know, put extra clouds out there, but you know, make it so that the Pakistanis have to fight. They can't run, you know, whatever. Uh, and then you get to, to go through a lot of these different rules and see the impact of having missiles and not having a cannon or having a cannon and not having missiles. Um, and it, it makes for a cool asymmetric fight. And, you know, once again, we've, I've said this too many times on this podcast. Um, I love asymmetric scenarios that are not balanced. Uh, it's If everything is perfectly balanced, it doesn't feel like real life. This this was real life. The, uh, the Indians didn't have guns. They had missiles only. When they shot all their missiles, show's show was kind of over at that point. Um, whereas the Pakistanis had guns, but they were too busy trying to run out of there and get, get away from the MiGs. Uh, so I, I think it's a fun scenario. All right, so we've covered kind of all the big-ticket stuff, uh, but what we haven't talked about is what most people go to fall in for. What games did you play up in the the gaming hall, or what games did you see? Uh, So I'll throw it over to Steve first, because I know you went up there, and you got to see some cool things uh, that were being hosted.
1: Yeah, I think the coolest thing that I saw was uh, the All's Quiet on the Martian Front, I think it was called. Yep. Was that the name of it? Just... I know nothing about the rules. I can speak nothing of the game, but man, those models just look so freaking cool. Do they have the man, big land like tanks out the there? Worlds the one type. that you got
0: to see? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. the
1: Big tanks, the big land tanks. This, I don't know. I guess I, the best thing I can describe them as the, yeah, the tripod thing,
0: whatever Yeah,
1: things. Oh yeah. Just such a, such a cool looking game. So I would say if you ever get a
2: chance to see that game at a convention, Get a seat yeah. in that. There were at least a dozen people playing, you know, on a, a giant long table. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't get it's, to see that. That that was what I wanted to see. And then I also wanted to see uh, any of the um, sky galleons of Mars, the steampunk, you know, flying spaceships in Mars, flying, flying ships that are really spaceships. Uh, because those models look, look pretty impressive, too, from that whole steampunk era stuff.
2: there was kind of in that same area, they had some really impressive giant games. And one of them that I saw, we walked up right when the game was ending and it looked like there might have been, you know, a dozen or more people playing. it was this enormous, uh, walled, like feudal era, Japanese yeah. castle that had all these, it was the whole compound in the castle in the center. And I think one side were the samurai and the other side were ninjas. And I guess the ninja had to, <laughs> you know, capture somebody that was inside the castle and who knows how the gameplay was, but I mean, it was extraordinary. It was a a real thematic. Yeah. That's, that's
0: one of the discussions we had talking to some of the HMGS staff is there's a point where you play these experience games that you almost don't care about the gameplay because just the, the terrain is awesome. The models are awesome. You're there with a, usually a subject matter expert on the history who will tell you exactly how things went. Uh, and it's just kind of funny because you don't think about it as as a as the kind of game where where you're concerned about the balance of it or or is what's the replayability of this? You're just you're having a good time,
2: you know? I think they ha- there was another big game that was at least as large as that one. That I think was like some kind of box. Yeah, the 55 Days in Peking. And I
0: never I I walked past the board multiple times. I never made it up there when they were playing. And I and I regret that because from everything I've heard, it played really well. And and it uh if you're a modern historian, you would not have appreciated the game because yes, it was uh biased, jingoistic, uh all the bad uh historical stereotypes of the time, but it was really based around the movie Fifty Five Days in Peking. So dealing with the Boxer Rebellion, not from a even-handed historical perspective, but from a very Western perspective.
2: I saw another really big table. It was 28 millimeter, I think. It was just a giant table, and it was uh, a big Afghanistan, yeah. modern, you know, modern combat af- in Afghanistan scenario. There were Humvees. It looked like, I just kind of walked by, I watched for a little bit. It sort of looked like some village and a convoy was trying to move yeah. through the village and maybe took an IED or something and
0: I I don't know the guy that uh, that did that setup, but apparently he's an award winner and he always throws a good game. And everybody was uh, was pretty happy to play in his force on force rule set uh, doing Afghanistan. So I know a lot of people have panned force on force as a game, but apparently the way he's got everything set up, he uh, you know, he made a good run of it. And uh, everybody had fun because the guys from Little Wars TV were talking about a lot of other guys were talking about how how cool that game was
2: that's the common element for all the games that we noticed is they all even, you know, we didn't know anything about the game, but they all looked amazing. So it was something he you just wanted to find out more about because it looks so yeah, good. Yeah.
0: Then there was those of us over here with our Zvezda models that looked like they've got no panel lines and we're feeling ashamed of our paint jobs. Yeah. We suck. We're the worst historical gamers ever. Gotcha. Next. Now. <laughs>
1: Man, that Afghanistan game had like, I don't know, like two like giant artillery pieces on it, I think, at the end of the board, didn't it? And those models yeah. were just like crazy well, I, cool, I, man. I'm so was... frustrated
0: because I didn't get to catch any of the aerial war games. Every time I went up there, they were, already, they were already done, hadn't filled any seats, you know, whatever. There's a variety of different things. Literally, I missed every one of them. I missed... Uh, our Blood Red Skies guys up there, I didn't get up and away from, from what we were doing. I didn't prioritize getting uh, out from the table to go see them. Uh, so I feel kind of bad, but uh, there was a lot of just a lot of cool games. I, and in all fairness, there were also a lot of games I didn't care about. The 375th rendition of some Battle of the English Civil War couldn't have cared less. Uh, but the models did look beautiful. So I, I have to give credit where credit is. We saw
2: still. some Wings of Glory yep, stuff. So. I thought
0: they were playing. that. Yeah, I take World, that back. War that two. was the one game that was underway when i went up there um and they're doing world war one wings of glory and so i nosed around and said yep wings of glory and then 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 left
1: i'm actually a little disappointed because usually you can i, I count on seeing at least like 12 or 13 different rendition homebrewed rules of day two of gettysburg <laughs> and i didn't see any the whole time we were there That's because they, so they all played
0: actually... them out at uh Dept-Con this year Don and
1: thought I was at the wrong. Yeah, Don event. And those
0: guys uh, played every day at, at a one to one scale at adeptcon. So yeah, no one's playing. No one's playing American Civil War uh, Gettysburg right now, till till the summer when we can play it in one to one with Roger. How does that sound? Uh, well, I didn't see the I Oak mean, and
2: Iron either. That yeah, would have been kind of. I cool didn't. I was trying to think what like
0: pirate that. games I did see, and I can't remember. Um, from my side.
1: There was definitely blood and plunder. Yeah, yeah, going on. I think
0: I think that's what what I saw being played. I don't remember. There were there were a lot of homebrew tweaks to stuff that I was walking around seeing that that were kind of interesting. I, I didn't get to see the uh, Aerodrome guys. They were playing their X Wing version of Aerodrome. Uh, I think that was on Saturday, and I didn't get a chance to to go see that. Um, but yeah, they've they've got their space fighter version of Aerodrome. So that uh, that should be worth seeing and worth playing. Hopefully they'll have that Nashville.
1: Oh my gosh! How'd you not know that? I didn't even know that oh, was. A, I don't oh how because God. you I, didn't read I'm the actually, schedule
0: that I wrote for you.
1: <laughs> I'm really upset now because I have my. You know, do they have different like wings or you pins or badges a, you a, can get X-wing for getting space in.
0: fighter wing pin for shooting somebody down?
1: Oh my gosh, we gotta! I gotta keep my eyes out for that now. <laughs>
0: Man, you're just a pin collector. What you're a the bummer. guy that goes to Disney and trades what pins, don't you?
2: Uh, Doug, you didn't see any of that uh, homebrew Epic stuff, did you? There was oh, I like did.
0: A... So, yeah. Did you? I missed so it. I so saw, I saw three different renditions of Epic. Um, there, there was a, what I took to be standard, I think it was, um, I don't know which edition. I think it was net Epic is what they were playing. Uh, there were three or four tables that were playing that when I went over one evening. I think that was Saturday evening. Um, I saw some homebrew uh, Epic scale stuff going on. And then the one that I saw that was was hilarious to me, that was super cool, brought back all kinds of nostalgia. Somebody had a copy of the Space Marine second edition rules and all the miniatures and some of the Titans from uh, the second edition uh, Adeptus Titanicus that weren't even painted. That the, I, I felt like they had literally bought the game in Wally's basement and put it together. And they were playing through uh, in the sci-fi section on Saturday night. And that was awesome to see. That was, that was super cool um, because that brought back all my memories of playing second Marine or second edition space Marine and Titan legions and all those, but that's all right. I'll get all that when Legion Imperialis eventually comes out in 2027, <laughs> whatever it's released. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that kind of summarizes most everything that I saw uh, during my time out there. Uh, Brett, anything else that you saw that you wanted to share with the crowd?
2: No, I just, you know, again, I, I was kind of impressed with the size of the thing. I didn't know what to anticipate. It was certainly bigger than any of the historical stuff at Adepticon. So I was pretty impressed. And it was, uh, you know, I I thought we got a lot out of exercising the yep. screen setup. Steve's done an amazing job enhancing that. It just looks better every time we put it up.
0: Yeah, it was good. And I was glad we got to do the uh, interview booth because that kind of was one of my pet rocks. I would wanted to try to work through and get that going. Well, well, Steve, what uh, what are your takeaways?
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I I really liked it. I think it was another uh, good time to exercise kind of that proof of concept yeah. of our, like Brett was saying, the streaming booth, the interview booth, I thought went great. And I mean, I guess kind of our Super Bowl is Adepticon, right? So I feel <laughs> it like is. now between, between last Adepticon, setting it up at John Con in Oklahoma, yep. and now uh, Fallen, I'm feeling like, Uh, I'm feeling like people should be putting Adepticon on their calendar early this year, because I think Adepticon is going to be going to be a pretty crazy show coming up here in a, in a couple months.
0: Oh yeah. And we know we have other games and organizations that want to stream with us. So we know bolt action wants to do that. Uh, The guys over at battlefront have talked about wanting to do that as well for some of their games for world of tanks. So there's, there's a desire for other people to come over and be streaming. We'll see how the whole layout works. Uh, Mike Rafferty and Don Ayers don't find it too, too funny when I say that I want, uh, the streaming deck and our, our interview thing up on a raised dais with lights and everything pointing at us and flashing signs saying, look, it's Lead Pursuit. Uh, yeah, they, they don't, they don't find that too funny. Um, but I,
2: it could be kind of cool though if we're in a central area that right there in that big room where we were last year, and everybody that's doing those tournaments, their top tables on the yeah. stream. I mean, damn, I, that I think that awesome. would be
0: cool, and that way it really alleviates them of buying all the gear, going through all that ass pain that that Steve's gone through in the last year, year and a half, uh, to figure stuff out, and the ass pain we're still going through when we we change one piece of gear, <laughs> and suddenly all all of a sudden we wonder why nothing works right. Uh, well, dumbasses, we. It's
1: like every every convention is like just a digital colonoscopy it's freaking just (laughs) like a constant yeah constant ass pain the
0: whole time yeah yeah no shit no shit i think i think things will be tighter um at least nobody has to look at our overhead uh, trust system and say that they're afraid it's going to fall over anymore so i think i think at least that part we've uh we've cracked the nut on so um but overall, I thought it was a great convention. It was certainly good to go to a historical focus convention that was that big. I'd done NashCon. NashCon's nowhere near the size of Fall-In and definitely not the size of HistoricCon. So the question that you know everyone's going to be asking us is, are you guys going to a HistoricCon? I don't know. Steve, Brett, do you want to do Historicon?
1: HistoricCon? Man, it's a no-brainer for me. I mean, it's only an hour away Uh You know, I'm down for a story. Can can I qualify
0: that? Because because I I, I had a unique cultural experience, two unique cultural experiences, uh, in, in Pennsylvania with this, it's only an hour away. Um, first of all, I mean, we are an Amish country, so it was the first time in, in years I had seen, uh, Amish buggies with like flashing red lights on them. So you don't hit them at night when they're out with their horse and buggy. Uh, but more importantly, what is it with Pennsylvania? Do people not have highways I mean, the, the drive from the airport there, we took like every back road. I think I actually saw the expressway like once on the way to the airport. Steve, it, it, could, would it be faster for you to actually drive a highway in Pennsylvania?
1: I don't know, man. I just follow wherever Waze takes me. <laughs> I'm just a blind, you know? Uh, I'm just a servant to my cell phone, Yeah, I guess. exactly, exactly. He's going where, go.
0: wherever it tells you. Oh.
1: But it's also November, so our highways here are like, I don't know. They're kind of like straight stretches of potholes, really. They're not much highways,
0: honestly. That's that's no fun. I'm good with skipping out on that. Uh, Brett, any thoughts about uh, Historic On in the summer?
2: It's just summer's tough for me, you know, with all the other obligations I have. So we'll see. It's just if it doesn't uh, coincide with an obligation of, you know.
0: Get your priorities straight. Lead pursuits the most important thing going on.
2: we, we need the lead pursuit RV. That's what we Yeah,
0: like next. I said, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I'll go be down there in Honest John's freaking RV sales negotiating for <laughs> for a fifth wheel and then I have to buy the truck to drag it around. Yeah, yeah. That would be fun. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to go through and talk about what we saw it Fall In. I realize we're not the big name podcasts. We're not, uh, you know, the the guys that are always out there covering those historical events and those historical conventions. But I have to give a huge thank you to the staff of fall in the, they rolled out the red carpet for us. Um, They took really good care of us. They made sure we got everything we needed Uh, and the historic on staff, they've, they're already asking, can we come support? They're interested in in having lead pursuit there, uh, both for the streaming table and then just for, just for our winning personalities. Apparently they haven't listened to our podcast and realized what a bunch of horrible people we are. Um, but no, I, I think from my perspective, I'd love to support, uh, HMGS. I'd love to be able to support historic on the summer schedules being what they are. Schedules are kind of tough in the middle of the summer. So we'll see. Uh, I would say stay tuned and, uh, listen to our updates and watch our social media pages and see if we decide to pitch a tent at, uh, at historic on and figure out what we're going to do. All right, with that I'll leave it with Steve's favorite term, keep climbing for advantage.